This is Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, inviting you to give consideration to our Early Learning Academy as you look for a place for your pre-K, kindergarten, or first grader. We would love to have the opportunity to serve your child. We have outstanding facilities and a wonderful staff of certified teachers itching to serve you. Come by and share with us as soon as you can. Is God real? stories in the Bible true? I need answers. Welcome to A Closer Look with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to spend the next hour with us as we delve into the study of God's Word. We can't do what we don't know. Here at Shiloh, we want to spend time studying the Word so that we can rightly apply the Word to our daily living and make a difference in our community and in our world for Jesus Christ. Won't you join us now for a closer look into God's Word? We invite your attention to James chapter 3 as we continue our look at uh, James, uh, the epistle, and uh, the the, uh, general theme is living faith. Today we're going to focus on discipline and wisdom. Uh, the first two-thirds of the chapter deals with discipline with regard to uh, vocation and with regard to what you say, what literally what comes out of your mouth. Uh, and then the last part deals with the wisdom uh, that is shown when we learn how to watch what we say and be careful that our behavior lines up with our profession. We've said throughout this series that uh, James is not what you would call a philosophical deep theologian. James deals more with pragmatic matters. Uh, and and what, what he simply wants from the church is for the church to live up to becoming its best self. And, and apparently what James is, is looking at is a church that is uh, Uh, proclaiming to be something, professing to be something, acting like they're something that in reality they are not. And it is troublesome to him. It is is burdensome to him. And he seeks to offer correction uh, with regard to that. Uh, This is going to be the third time uh, in three chapters that James has had something to say about the tongue and about what you do with the tongue. In, in, in James chapter 1, he talks about bridling the tongue. Uh, uh, in James chapter 2, he talks about speaking as those who will be judged for what they say. And today, he emphasizes uh, the need to be careful about rushing into the task of uh, being a teacher. Don't be in any rush to become a teacher, my friends. Teaching is highly responsible work. Teachers are held to the strictest standards, and none of us is perfectly qualified. We get it wrong nearly every time we open our mouths. If you could find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you'd have a perfect person in perfect control of life. A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. 
a small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke, and go up in smoke with it, smoke right from the pit of hell. This is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. The tongue runs wild, a wanton killer. With our tongues, we bless God our Father. With the same tongues, we curse the very men and women he made in his image. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth. My friends, this can't go on. A spring doesn't gush fresh water one day and brackish the next, does it? Apple trees don't bear strawberries, do they? Raspberry bushes don't bear apples, do they? You're not going to dip into a polluted mud hole and get a cup of clear, cool water, are you? Do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. Live well. Live wisely. Live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. Mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish conniving. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at others' throat. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. James is dealing with uh, those issues that he believes hinders the impact of the church to make a change in the world on behalf of Jesus Christ. And again, this is the third time that he has lifted up the tongue and what you say. Be careful about how you speak. He ties it at the start of the chapter with teaching. And, and, and when we read that, we, we, we have to remember that while all of us are teachers to one extent or another, let's be clear, every Christian is a teacher of somebody, whether you want to be or not. Every teacher, every Christian is a teacher of somebody. 
When he's talking about teaching, he's talking about those who try to act in the gift of teaching. And, and he's saying, don't rush for a gift that you don't have. Understand that teaching the word of God requires more than just a degree from a college. It requires a gift from the Holy Spirit. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We started by, by, by talking about the fact that uh, when we started this series, that people want to say that, that Paul and James are in opposition to each other. Uh, but here again, we find Paul saying words similar to the thought that James is saying. The key verses are verses 6 through 8. Uh, let me start with verse 3 just to keep it within its context. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. In this way, we are like the various parts of a human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. If you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. If you help, just help. Don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with the disadvantaged, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. Within the context of, of, of what he's saying here, he lists teaching. And what he's saying is you can't do it if you're not a part of the body. And the body that he's talking about is the body of Christ, with Christ at the head. If you are cut off from the body, you no longer serve to highlight to lift up the body. A cut-off finger, to use his example, or a cut-off toe might still exist, but it no longer functions with the body. Teaching must be done within the context of the Spirit of Christ if we are teaching the Word of God. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
key verses, verse 28, keeping it in its context, we're going to start with verse 27. You are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part of that body does your part mean anything. You're familiar with some of the parts that God has formed in his church, which is his body. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracle workers, healers, helpers, organizers, those who pray in tongues. But it's obvious by now, isn't it, that Christ's church is a complete body and not a gigantic unidimensional part. It's not all apostle, not all prophet, not all miracle worker, not all healer, not all prayer in tongues, not all interpreter of tongues. And yet some of you keep competing for so-called important parts. Again, the key here is to see that Paul lists teaching as a part of the body of Christ. Turn to Ephesians. Got one more. Turn to Ephesians, chapter 4, starting with verse 1. In light of all this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences, and quick at mending fences. You are all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction, so stay together both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. But that doesn't mean that you should all look and speak and act the same. Out of the generosity of Christ, each of us is given his own gift. The text for this is, he climbed the high mountain, he captured the enemy and seized the booty, he handed it all out in gifts to the people. Is it not true that the one who climbed up also climbed down, down to the valley of earth? And the one who climbed down is the one who climbed back up, up to the highest heaven? He handed out gifts above and below, filled heaven with his gifts, filled earth with his gifts. He handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor, teacher to train Christ's followers in skilled work, servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. Once again, within the context of, of him talking about unity and understanding that we are under the Godhead of Jesus Christ, spiritual development, he lists teaching. Teaching is a gift from God. And while all of us as Christians are teachers to one extent or another, not all of us possess the gift of teaching. 
And if you don't possess a gift, then quit trying to act like you have a gift that you don't have. That's what he means when he says, don't be in any rush to become a teacher. In other words, don't call yourself to something that God hasn't called you to. Does that make sense to you? It's not meant to be insulting. It's not meant to be demeaning. It's simply meant to say that if you act in a way outside the realm of your divine spiritual skill set, you're going to be ineffective. You're going to be frustrated. And you can cause problems for other folks. Meaning to do well is not enough. You got to possess the proper skill set. There is nothing worse than having somebody trying to do something that he ain't equipped to do. When I was in eighth grade going to ninth grade, I, uh, I told my father I was going to go out for the football team. Uh, in ninth grade, and he said, okay, if you plan on going out for the football team, then I expect to see you run, and I expect to see you lift weights, and I expect to see you work out, and, 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 and uh, show me that you're really serious about doing this. And the whole summer, I ain't run, <laughs> I didn't lift a weight, I didn't do a thing. And when they announced that, that tryouts were coming for football season, I brought a sheet of paper to my father that he had to sign and say that I could go out for the football team. And he said, nope. He said, I ain't signing it. He said, I didn't see. I told you, you had to do X, Y, and Z. And you ain't do none of it. I ain't signing this. You go out there and get yourself killed. It's my fault because I didn't have sense enough to tell you no. And I was mad. Of course, I couldn't say nothing, but I was mad. But he was right. Kept me from getting myself really hurt because I saw people who really knew what they were doing get hurt. The fact that I like football doesn't mean that I'm equipped to play football. The fact that you like to teach doesn't mean that you're equipped to teach. And the fact that you have a degree from LSU or Southern or USL or wherever else that says that you can teach in a school classroom does not mean that you are spiritually equipped to teach the Word of God. Don't think that because you got a teaching certificate from XYZ University that that makes you equipped to teach the Word of God. There are some folk who ain't got a degree from nowhere who are far better equipped to teach the Word of God. It's about spiritual gifting. And if you don't have the gift, then it's dangerous to try to act like you have something that you don't have. Amos 
was giving a very unpopular message and, and, and uh, some of his critics were saying, why don't you uh, go back to where you came from? He said, I didn't call me to do this. This was not on my agenda. I was perfectly fine doing what I was doing. I was, I, I was a herdsman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit and I was happy doing what I was doing. I didn't call me to this. God called me to this. And here's the thing. If God called you to do it, you got to do it. Even when it's unpopular. Even when people turn negative or turn cold against you. You have to do it because you are responding to a divine call on your life. If there is no spiritual unction to do this, then at the first hint of negativity, you're going to be ready to go home. Using your example, Paula, Jeremiah. Jeremiah preached for 40 years. And after every sermon, they sang, just as I am, and nobody came. <laughs> 40 years, the doors of the church opened, and nobody came down the aisle. And Jeremiah said, I'm sick of this. I'm tired of this. God, I ain't doing this no more. I'm going home. He said, before I can get home, God had his word light up so much in me, it was burning like a fire shut up in my bones. And I found that I had to turn around and I had to go back and do what the Lord said do. It has to be a, an unction of the spirit. And if you don't have the unction, the best thing for you to do is to leave it alone. Well-intentioned words cause problems if they aren't from the Holy Spirit. Y'all know the story of Job. Job gets caught up in all of this mess and, 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 and all of this calamity befalls him. He loses his wealth. He loses his health. His wife turns against him. He's out of doors and, and friends come by. And friends sit around with Job. And friends decide that they're going to lend their counsel. In, in effect, they decide they're going to teach Job. Job, you want to get out of this mess? We're going to tell you how to get out of it. Repent. You must have done something wrong. God wouldn't have allowed this to happen unless you've done something wrong. And chapter after chapter and friend after friend continue to, to, to push on Job and criticize Job and ridicule Job. And Job has to stand and say, I haven't done anything wrong. And ultimately, by the time we get to chapter 42 of Job, God vindicates Job and says, no, he hasn't done anything wrong at all. But can you imagine the damage that could have been done if Job was not as strong as he was? Somebody in here has had a number done on them by somebody who thought they knew something that they really didn't know. How is it that you can hear two sentences of somebody's life 
and figure you, you, you know enough to tell their whole story. That's your problem right there. No, no, no. Let me tell you how to fix that problem. You don't know nothing. Most of us don't have the patience to, to truly listen to somebody. A lot of people who, who pretend that they are listening, they're just waiting for you to stop talking so that they can get in what they want to say. They're not really listening to what you have to say. And everybody thinks they have their word of wisdom. Be careful of folk who want to turn your problem into their problem. Child, I know exactly what you're talking about because the same thing happened to me about 10 years ago. Let me tell you what happened. This ain't about you. This ain't about your story. This is not about your problem. You might mean well. I'm not saying that anybody has sinister uh, intentions, but well-meaning folk can, can cause problems in other folks' lives if they try to utilize a gift that they do not possess. Let me have you turn one other place. Turn to Acts chapter 20. Look at verses 29 through 32. Paul says, not everybody who, who tries to exercise this teaching gift is doing so because they're sincerely wrong. He says, some folk try to do it because they want to draw a crowd to themselves. Look at verses 29 to 32, Acts chapter 20. I know that as soon as I'm gone, vicious wolves are going to show up and rip into this flock. Men from your very own ranks, twisting words so as to seduce disciples into following them instead of Jesus. So stay awake and keep on your guard. Remember those three years I kept at it with you, never letting up, pouring my heart out with you, one after another. Now I'm running you over to God. I'm turning you over to God, our marvelous God, whose gracious word can make you into what he wants you to be and give you everything you could possibly need in this community of holy friends. So... There are some people who try to exercise a gift that they don't possess because out of their sincerity to try to help, misguidedly, they try to use something that they don't have. But there's another group out there that loves to draw a crowd to itself. The church is a dangerous place because the church, what is it you hear me say all the time? The church is a whosoever will place. Whosoever will, let him come and drink freely from the fountain of life. And, 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 and that's a beautiful thing because we, we say that nobody's excluded from the church. But one of the dangerous things about nobody being excluded from the church is that some evil folk show up in the church. They show up and they learn the language. They learn how to speak the, the church language. Blessed, sanctified, heaven-bound, to 
too blessed to be stressed, all that other stuff. We, we learn how to speak the language. We learn how to get comfortable with a circle. And then we slowly try to pull that circle to us. There are people in the church, this church and every other local church around, there are people in the church who are not interested in the Lord, but are interested in themselves. Now, the, 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 the most tragic of these are when we see these cults that go out and, 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 and they end up either doing harm to someone or doing harm to themselves, and we see it on the news, and we say, oh, how tragic, oh, how sad. How could they have been led astray like that? They're led astray by charismatic folk who have the ability to, to cause you to think things contrary to your own best interest. And just because you don't see it on the evening news doesn't mean that it's not happening around you all the time. Not everybody in the church loves the Lord. Not everybody in the church even cares about the Lord. Some people come to the church because they see a crowd there and they want to draw a crowd. They need to find some place where they can be fulfilled. Where, where, where they can see themselves as being important. They don't get it anyplace else, so they come looking for it in the church. And if you're not careful, they will draw you in. And it won't be till you in there that you realize you're in something you ain't got no business being a part of. Paul says, as soon as I'm gone, Vicious wolves from among you. What, what, what's, the, what's the warning about being from among you? Familiarity. Oh, it can't be like that with Jane. And if you Jane, I ain't talking. If your name is Jane, I ain't talking about you. Jane can't be like that. John can't be like that. We know John. We know Jane. We've grown up with them. We've worked with them. We have a relationship with them. And John and Jane are leading you down a primrose path that's going to take you straight to hell. Because John and Jane are not interested in the things of God. They're interested in drawing crowds to themselves. Jesus warned of this. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. Key verses are verses 6 and 7. Start with verse 4, Matthew chapter 23. Instead of giving you God's law as food and drink by which you can banquet on God, they package it in bundles of rules, loading you down like pack animals. They seem to take pleasure in watching you stagger under these loads and wouldn't think of lifting a finger to help. Their lives are perpetual fashion shows, embroidered prayer shawls one day, and flowery prayers the next. They love to sit at the head table at church dinners, basking in the most prominent positions, preening in the radiance of public flattery, receiving honorary degrees and getting called doctor and reverend. I love Peterson. <clears throat> Skip over to verse 23. You're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees, frauds, 
You keep meticulous account books, tithing on every nickel and dime you get, but on the meat of God's law, things like fairness and compassion and commitment, the absolute basics, you carelessly take it or leave it. Careful bookkeeping is commendable, but the basics are required. Do you have any idea how silly you look writing a life story that's wrong from start to finish, nitpicking over commas and semicolons? You're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees. Frauds, you burnish the surface of your cups and bowls so they sparkle in the sun while the insides are maggoty with your greed and gluttony. Stupid Pharisee, scour the insides and then the gleaming surface will mean something. You're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees. Frauds, you're like manicured grave pots, grass clipped and the flowers bright, but six feet down it's all rotting bones and worm-eaten flesh. People look at you and think you're saints, but beneath the skin, you're total frauds. Not everybody, I, I, I could keep going because he keeps going, but you, you, you get the picture. Not everybody who's in the church and who wants to assume the position of teacher has been called by God to teach. If someone is trying to lead you who has not been called by God, run. Run as fast and as far as you can. Because if you're not careful, you'll get caught up in their foolishness. And James says, you have to be careful. Now, James is not saying that we're all perfect. He says, if you could find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you'd have a perfect person in perfect control of life. Nobody is perfect. And James acknowledges that. James acknowledges that even the best of us from time to time make mistakes. But it's one thing to make a mistake trying to do what's right. It's a completely different thing to just be out for yourself. And he says it shows up in how you talk. It shows up in your language. It shows up with, in, in the fact that what you say doesn't line up with how you live. A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. Let me ask you a question. Think, think, think back into your own memory. Is there a word a phrase, a sentence that someone said to you that encouraged you to go forward when you were ready to quit? God bless that person. 
And if that happened, it was God using that person to keep you moving when you were ready to stop. The reverse is also true. Can you remember when you were trying to do something and somebody said something ugly, something terrible, something negative? You ain't gonna never be nothing. I don't know why you try. I don't know why you try and act like you something that you ain't. You ain't never been nothing. You don't come from nothing. You ain't never gonna be nothing. Now I'm just making that up. But that resonates with somebody because y'all going mm. every every time I say it, y'all going mm. mm. That resonates with somebody. James says, that's the power of the tongue. That's the power of our speech. With one sentence, somebody has been inspired to go forward. And every time they got ready to quit, they remembered that, that one sentence that somebody said that kept you going. And yet for somebody else, one sentence has always kept you back. One sentence has always kept you afraid it's always interesting to me that, that we pray to God to open doors. God, open a door for me. And the door opens, and we won't walk in. Because somebody said, it's better that you stay where you are than go into something that you ain't never been. You ain't never been there before. That's the power of the tongue. Yes. That's the power, that's the wonder of our speech. But the reverse is also true. I know for a fact that there are people who are always, always being held back because of some ugly word that somebody said to them years ago, and they've never been able to shake it, they've never been able to get past it. And here's something for you to think about. The fact that they said it doesn't make it true. But your believing it affects your behavior. James says you have to recognize what the tongue, what your speech has the ability to do. And that's why teachers ought to be careful. Don't rush to be a teacher spouting foolishness, spouting ignorance spouting all kinds of ugliness, spouting hypocrisy. Be careful of that. Because it doesn't just do harm to you, it does harm to people who believe in you, who trust in you, who take your word for gospel. I tell people all the time, I say it in here all the time, for many people, the only Jesus they're going to see is the Jesus they see in you. You came to Bible study today. Somebody didn't come. They're going to ask you, what y'all doing Bible study today? What you going to tell them? And how you going to tell it? Somebody knows you come to Bible study every week. Somebody knows you come to church every Sunday. They figure you know the Lord. Uh, that, that's that thing when they say, I need you to pray for me. The Bible says everybody can pray for themselves. Did you know that? 
It's nice that you ask somebody else to pray for you. It's nice that you ask me to pray for you or ask a deacon or ask a friend to pray for you. But did you know that you can pray for yourself? That you don't need nobody else to pray for you? I got a friend of mine who says, be careful who you ask to pray for you. Because sometimes them prayers don't get no further than the ceiling. They never, they never get any higher than the ceiling. But you come to Bible study and you come to church and so people presume that you have a, 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 an inroad to Jesus. And so they're going to come and ask you a question. Why did God let this happen to me? What is God trying to do in my life? Why, why, why am I dealing with the problems that I'm dealing with? And they're going to expect you to be able to give them an answer because you come to Bible study and you go to church on Sunday. Can I tell you, if you don't have an answer, say, I don't know. Because a lot of folk who's supposed to know don't know. A lot of folk who people presume know don't know. And anybody who ain't got sense enough to say, I don't know, you don't need to be listening to them know her. Because that's hubris, arrogance. That's, that, that, that's, that's an attitude of superiority that, that you need to flee from. You have power in what you say. Somebody hangs on your every word. And that's why James says you have to be so very careful. It only takes a spark to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. This is scary. That's James talking. This is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. How many of you all got up, if not this morning, one morning, and said, I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna do it today? I know I'm going to see so-and-so today, but I ain't going to say nothing to him today. Holy Spirit, help me not to say nothing to him today. And then y'all coming into each other's view, and the closer they get, the more you feel it. And before you know it, it's, it's come out of your mouth. I said I wasn't going to do it. I prayed not to do it. But you can tame a tiger. But you can't tame a tongue. 
It's dangerous. It's terrible. Here's the good news. I've got 12 minutes left. Here's the good news. You don't have to tame your tongue if you have sense enough to turn your tongue over to Jesus and ask the Lord to help you. Now, time will do this too. And some of y'all ought to be old enough now to where you know it just doesn't do any good to say everything that comes into your head. Y'all old enough, right? Because some of y'all laughing like, I ain't there yet. <laughs> you ought to be there by now. You don't need to say everything that comes into your mind. Sometimes you just need to let things go. Y'all like the Ecclesiastes passage that says that there's a time for all things. One of those things that says is that there's a time to speak up and there's a time to be quiet. I like it. There's a time to shut up. We have to learn that there are times to speak and there are times to be silent. There are times to respond and there are times to let things pass. That's part of turning your lives over into God's hands. Because God can guide you into doing this. James says not only is the tongue destructive, not only can it be completely out of control, but it is also deceptive. He says with our tongues we bless God our Father, and with the same tongues we curse the very men and women he made in his image. Cursings and blessings out of the same mouth. Well, the Apostle John says in, 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 in 1 John chapter 2, I want to say, he says, how can you say that you love the Lord whom you've never seen and you hate your neighbor who you see every day. How can you say praise the Lord and then talk about the Lord's people? Do you know that you are God's people? And do you know that the one that you're talking about is also God's people? Your mama and daddy wouldn't let you talk about your siblings. If they heard it coming out of your mouth, if you're of a certain age, you were going to get popped. Don't you ever let me hear you say that again. Don't you know that we all come from one heavenly father? Don't you know that we're all brothers and sisters? Doesn't matter what race you are. Doesn't matter what region you come from. Doesn't matter what your academic background is. We're all from one heavenly Father. Therefore, if we are all lovers of Christ, then by necessity we must also be lovers of one another. That does not mean that we cannot be critical of one another. It just means that we cannot be embittered toward one another. 
Constructive criticism is designed to help all of us to get better. But just being bitter with somebody and just being angry with somebody and just cursing somebody, that's not Christian. That's not Christ. And he is not pleased by that. And the body of Christ is not helped by that. So we have to be careful because some of us think that because we love the Lord so much that, that, that it doesn't matter how we treat one another. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25 that those who, who, who I'm going to say depart from me are those who would not feed the hungry. When I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was sick, you would not visit me. When I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. When I was naked, you gave me no clothes. When I had no shelter, you didn't provide any for me. He says, when you did it to the least, you did it to me. So we have to be careful of, of, of that deception. Last part, seven minutes. Do you want to be counted wise? to build a rep reputation for wisdom. Here's what you do. Live well, live wisely, live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk that counts. Mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish conniving. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at each other's throats. True wisdom, James says, is when we learn how to line up our behavior with what we say. And when we don't do that, then we are setting a poor example. And the church sees that poor example and the church looks bad as a result. Let me leave you with this. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Proverbs 12 and 23. A prudent man keeps his knowledge to himself, but the heart of fools blurts out folly. Proverbs 17 and 27, a man of knowledge uses words with restraint, and a man of understanding is even-tempered. Proverbs 18 and 2, a fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. Proverbs 21 and 23, he who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. Proverbs 29 and 20. Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now, I, I, I bring that up only to let you see that there is 
remarkable redundancy in the scripture. James, we're only in James chapter 3. And in three chapters, James has said, y'all talk too much. And what you say doesn't line up with your behavior. But over and over again in Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs says the same thing. Hush your mouth. Pay attention to what's going on. When you speak, speak carefully and speak deliberately. Or don't say anything at all. Over and over again, Paul says, be careful of those who try to draw crowds to themselves and try to invoke the name of God in order to do so. Over and over again, Jesus says, watch those who made themselves the teachers over you, but there is no God in them. There is remarkable redundancy in the scripture. And as we see this redundancy, it is important that we recognize that we don't fall into the same trap ourselves. Don't talk so much. Listen. First of all, you, you will be a better help to people if you listen before you speak than you will be if you just speak and never listen. I know. No, you don't. You really don't. And three minutes, and I'm done, and I ain't going to take all three minutes. There's somebody, perhaps somebody sitting right next to you, perhaps somebody that you've known for a long time, who just wants you to listen to them. who just wants to know that they have been heard. And there's somebody who won't talk to you. Not because they don't like you, not because they're mean to you, but because they know that you ain't gonna listen to anything they got to say anyway. Some of the biggest regrets that I have in my life is that I spoke too soon. And I spoke without knowing what it was that I was talking about. And I was just trying to help. And that just trying to help thing gets you into a whole lot of trouble. May we stand together, please. Sito on the beat. We call it the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. Uh, the whole point behind the podcast was to give us the opportunity uh, to engage in meaningful conversation uh, with people about topics that we would find to be interesting and yet topics that would not normally fit within a Sunday worship experience or within a midweek Bible study. Let's face it, in, in, in a traditional church, uh, the, 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 the primary means of communicating that we have uh, is either through Bible study or through worship. Uh, and uh, we try to do the best that we can to speak to relevant issues, contemporary issues in those venues. 
but it's limiting. And, and uh, I wanted something that would break free from the fetters that worship and Bible study place on you. I wanted to be able to have a means, a medium, by which we could discuss with a little bit more depth, at a little bit more length, the things that are going on in our community and discuss them with people who are making a difference in our community. Uh, I wanted the opportunity to explore. I wanted the opportunity to learn. Uh, one of the things that, that uh, I'm convinced of is that I don't know everything and, and that I need to know more than what I do. And in order for that to take place, then I need to expose myself to different ways of thinking, to different generations of thinking, uh, and to try to glean from others the best of their information that would help me to make myself better and to make Shiloh a better place. And so we decided that we would uh, launch the Thrive Podcast, and uh, we're now in our second year. I think that it has grown, it has expanded, uh, and uh, I think that it's been a beneficial uh, platform for us to explore different ways of thinking and different ideas. Uh, and the feedback that we have gotten about it uh, has been nothing but positive. We want to expand on it. We want to build on it. We're we've gone from one drop a week on Mondays to five drops a week, Monday through Friday. It allows us the opportunity uh, to get our midweek Bible study periods out on a different platform, to get our Sunday worship experiences out on a different platform. It helps the church to become more relevant and more regular in the lives of the people who listen and who uh, view the podcast. And so we're very happy about it. Uh, I don't think that we've begun to scratch the surface of what we can do with it. Much like anything, it's a new toy. We're taking it out, we're experimenting with it, trying to see what we can do with it and, and how we can make it most beneficial to us. But I think thus far, we're doing a pretty good job with it. This is Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, inviting you to give consideration to our Early Learning Academy as you look for a place for your pre-K, kindergarten, or first grader. We would love to have the opportunity to serve your child. We have outstanding facilities and a wonderful staff of certified teachers itching to serve you. Come by and share with us as soon as you can.